today's guest is Nicole Lewell. She is the owner and psychotherapist of Expanded Consciousness Counseling. Her own journey of recovery from an eating disorder and her desire to help others led her to working in this field as a licensed mental health counselor. She received her master's in clinical mental health and has been working in the field, working in treatment centers, helping other people in residential, PHP, IOP, and outpatient to discover their worth and their power and reshape their relationship with both food and themselves. She has recently opened her fully virtual private practice serving Florida residents And this is where she is able to do the individual work with adults struggling with eating disorders, disordered eating, poor body image, perfectionism, anxiety, and OCD to recover their inner peace. And we are definitely going to hit on some of these topics in our conversation. I think in addition to eating disorders, we really hit on those themes of perfectionism and anxiety and just those different types of thinking traps that may show up in the mental health space. And so I'm really passionate, obviously, about this topic. And I am so excited to have Nikki on because she is an amazing, amazing, amazing therapist. So let's dive into the conversation. I am super excited to have Nikki here with me. We actually both used to be co-workers and Nikki has been working on her incredible new private practice that I'm super excited to dive into and to talk about our topic today with learning about your self-relationship, what that means. And so Nikki, can you just introduce yourself and just kind of how you got started in this practice? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Melissa. So I got started in this practice. Well, let me back up a little bit. My name is Nikki. I am a uh, full-time private practice business owner. I work with eating disorders. I came into the field of therapy thinking that I wanted to work with college-age students and not really sure what I wanted to do with that. But then I got an internship in eating disorders And it really opened my eyes to the fact that this is a population that since I've had personal experience, but I'm also recovered from an eating disorder, I found a real fit really quickly and decided that this is going to be my population for life, right? I really, I really felt a sense of genuine understanding, right? Knowing that we all have our own different stories, but that feeling of, I wish I had had this, right? In my own recovery process, I wish... I would have had this dynamic of the group and of just people who understood. And it just felt like a good fit for me at that point in my life. Yeah, that's really valuable lived experience that you bring to your patients that you work with. And can you share with our audience just a quick summary on what an eating disorder is? Yeah. So when I think about an eating disorder, I'm thinking of having really a disordered relationship with food and likely your body. It is going to be something where that relationship with food is kind of non-existent or all over the place or it's contentious or anything that has you not being able to nourish your body appropriately, not being able to follow your body's cues, not being able to see food as separate from yourself, from your worth. All of those pieces are really what we're 
what I'm seeing, right, when I'm working with my patients. Yeah. And that relationship with food that becomes disordered, what are some of those biggest symptoms and red flags and things that you see that can kind of clue someone into a disordered relationship with food? So a disordered relationship with food it could be happening, right? It's worth asking questions if there is a real high sense of morality attached to the food, if there's a real high sense of my self-worth as attached to what I eat and subsequently what I look like and all of those other pieces, if it's if choosing food isn't coming from a neutral place, it's coming from a place of what is this going to do to my body or not being led by your internal cues, being led by outside messages of all the should that you think should be wrapped up in the food choices that you're making. So if that's going on, I would consider speaking with somebody to see if there is a disordered relationship with food going on. Yeah. Can you share a little bit of your personal journey with that? Just kind of some of what you went through and what you see some of your clients going through? Yeah, absolutely. So I can kind of rewind back in time to probably close to the beginning of my eating disorder. So probably early middle school, maybe even late elementary school already seeing that disorder around the food. So for me, I felt really othered as a um, Black girl growing up in a school full of white children, feeling like I didn't really have a place that I belong. And so really looking for ways to kind of find my way in. And then because of my body type, getting lots of comments about the way that my, because I was in a, a smaller, straighter sized body, I would get lots of feedback on that. And I felt like that was my my connection. That was my way in. That's going to be something that I get to have a say or I don't get to have a say in the neighborhood that I live in. I don't get to have a say in my background or any of those other pieces, but I knew that I wanted to be able to keep my body being the thing that got me that acceptance, right? That stamp of a approval. And so for me, it started out with having just a disordered relationship with myself, not seeing myself as enough, right? Taking on messages that I wasn't enough and trying to fix that through external means. And that really went across the gamut. Like, I don't know how deep you get into this on your podcast, but you didn't enter any of the, the details, but I know I wanted to try restriction first. And then I realized that that was really hard to maintain. Right. And that was really not something that allowed me to play the sports I wanted to play. And then it moved into a relationship with having such aggression with the food. Right. So I'd be really upset with myself for ended up needing the food, right. Which would lead to the binge because of course there's restriction at that my body's way of trying to get that nourishment. And then just having a lot of aggression at myself and really trying to punish myself afterward. And that became this compensatory relationship with food. And then, and this was jumping way ahead, jumping into college, running out of energy, running out of that stamina, because I was such an appearance person, right? That that depression really hit the moment that it started to take that toll on me. College started to really kind of pile up. And then that became me having the opposite relationship with food, using food as a source of numbing. So really being able to kind of see that trajectory with food and how I used the relationship, my relationship with food was always mirroring what was going on with me in my lived day-to-day experience, right? So when I was having that hostility, that uh, compensatory piece, when I was able to keep up with that perfection, that restriction piece. And so that's something I've noticed too when I'm working with my own clients is seeing a lot of their 
personal relationships or their external relationship or their internal relationship really being a mirror for what we're seeing with their relationship with the food. So that's something that I've noticed that is typically a one for one kind of correlation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So if you are feeling not good enough or if there's a lot of maybe criticism, maybe that you've picked up from parents or somewhere or just develop that relationship with yourself and get focused on this is the thing I need to do that a parent's focus, it can really spiral from there, right? So can you share with us some of what you have learned in your work as a therapist, what has been helpful to kind of heal that relationship with yourself? Maybe even notice, you know, what might be going on there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the first thing was from was for me to notice that I am in a relationship with myself, that I have self-relationship to even begin with, to conceptualize that, to start with, because I, I sometimes don't think that we recognize that we are our, we go with us where we go, right? No matter where we go, there we are. We are always with us. We're always present, right? And so the relationship that we have with ourselves is always present as well. And so when I started to recognize that the patterns that I was moving through um, relationships with, friendships with, was always the same, no matter what was going on externally, it started to dawn on me that that is because I was the same in every situation that I was in. And so I think first recognizing that, that I think another piece that's been really helpful for me on my own healing journey that's been helpful with um, the people I've worked with is really taking a look at what that self-talk is looking like, right? How am I talking to myself? How am I assigning meaning to my human behaviors, my human emotions, um, my imperfections, right? Am I assigning this to my humanness or am I assigning it to a fault, a flaw to be rid of in myself, right? And really thinking about, is it something internally that's going on that's a war with myself, right? Versus going on where I feel that sense of, I'm okay, I'm a person, I can always reassess, I can always make another decision, but that's going to come on the back of whatever relationship I'm having with myself, right? If my relationship with myself is poor, whatever decision I make in that space is going to be reflective of that, right? And it's likely to lead me further and further and further away from any semblance of a self-relationship versus if my relationship is intact, if it's um, compassionate, if I allow myself to be curious and I allow myself not to tie anything back to who I am as a person, then the decisions I make in that space almost always are going to be more value-driven, right? And are going to lead me closer and closer to those values. And another thing I also recognize is making sure that I'm looking at my values as a set of ideals that I aspire to, right? And that fill me up versus anything that's outcome specific. Because I noticed that when I tie outcomes to it, there's just such a propensity for that relationship to start to turn a little bit away from peace, basically. Mm -hmm. For sure. I can see that. And I think it's really interesting, like thinking about myself when I'm younger too. I was in an eating disorder as well and very preoccupied with image, kind of similar to what you shared, Nikki, of thinking like, this is the one thing I can control or this is something that feels that 
I get recognition for versus maybe I don't feel smart enough or athletic enough or whatever the case, but feeling like, okay, I can control my body shape. I can control the way I eat. But I know that when I was younger, I just had such an external focus and thinking about what do I need to do to, you know, have that companionship, to have people around me, to have good people around me or people that I enjoy versus seeing myself as, you know, how am I treating myself? How am I talking to myself? Like, who am I being when I'm alone? I wouldn't really consider that. Or if I was alone, it would just, yeah, it would be basically that feeling of not being good enough and and feeling like not comfortable in my body, right? And wishing I was a different person or or all those things. I think I see that so often with people going through an eating disorder and that self-relationship that is either completely not there, there's not really much of a relationship, or the relationship is almost abusive toward yourself. So it's really interesting. And then once you learn, you're like, you're going to (laughs) be, you know, you have yourself for life. So you might as well develop a good relationship with yourself because this is the body that you're in. You know, this is the person that you're going to be for life. Do you want to be uplifting, encouraging, loving toward yourself? Or do you want to carry on with, you know, a harmful relationship with yourself? So what are some steps that someone can take to start developing a more healthy and peaceful relationship with themselves? Mm -hmm. It's going to depend on the person and where they're at in their relationship with themselves. But just some things that come to mind that I find to be uh, universally successful is really noticing how you're feeling in your body. So really getting, we're going to get to that emotion, the thoughts, your physical body, your spirituality, right? Your beliefs, all of those things that kind of ground you in yourself, all of those things are going to require some attending to in order to strengthen that self-relationship. So with the body, I think that really working to locate your emotions in your body or even that you're feeling on your body, right? And really kind of finding what works for wherever you're feeling that energy. So just for like example, so when I start to get really anxious, I will start to feel it in my chest. My chest will either start to feel like it's tightening in on itself or to start to feel like it is wants to split open, right? So it's one of those two things, but I'm, I'm feeling it in my chest a lot of the time. And something that I'll do is I'll put both of my hands on my chest, right? And I'll try to close my eyes and I'll try to figure out where I'm feeling it and really give myself the ability to feel it there and to do my breath work. I find that breath work is something that works for me to get connected with my body and to start to bring that energy back to something that feels more manageable, something that feels like I'm going to be able to utilize my other skills in. And really calming my body is the first place that I'll go, especially when I'm in the midst of having, a, or and even what I would recommend to my clients when they're in the midst of having a strong emotion, because you have to think that your your thought process, all of those pieces are going to be impacted by what's happening in your body because your brain is inside of your body, right? It is being affected by the same pieces that are moving through your body. So the first piece I would say is figuring out ways to calm the body. And calming the body doesn't always mean stillness. Sometimes it means shaking it out. So sometimes if I'm having so much excess energy, finding ways to move it out of me so that I can get back to that place of feeling 
it's much more manageable. I'm a little less out of that fight or flight response. So that's one place. Another another place to look at in a particular order, thoughts, right? And really giving yourself permission to recognize that you are not your thoughts. You are the thinker of your thoughts, right? So you get to allow those thoughts to come in and pass by, right? And really notice where you're at when you're trying to allow the thoughts to come in and to go by, right? Which thoughts am I holding on to, right? And why am I holding on to this thought? How does this thought serve me or or what am I trying to use this thought for? Because sometimes when we're having those critical negative thoughts, we're actually trying to spur ourselves on. We're actually trying to be motivating, but we want to actually check in with the energy behind that thought, right? And the, the intent behind that thought. Is this a thought meant to push me, right? Is it a thought meant to shame me and push me? If it is, maybe giving myself permission to let that thought float on by and see if any other thoughts come on, right? Because that thought we got, right? If, if nothing but shame comes up, okay, fine, we'll listen to shame. But likely that's not the only thing that's going to come up when we let ourselves detach from that thought. We'll get more options to really choose from. And then making a choice that's actually going to benefit us, that's actually going to have us wanting to reach into our skills and that actually has us still staying in our worth, right? Versus trying to reduce us or make us smaller or any of those other pieces. So body, checking in with your thoughts, really giving yourself the neutrality of your thoughts emotions, naming your emotion, naming what you're feeling, even when it doesn't feel like it, all of your emotions will pass through eventually, right? So even the big ones that feel like they are so overwhelming, they feel like you're wrapped in them, you'll never feel any other emotion. Again, I call it like bathroom floor emotions, right? I'm feeling this and I'm always going to feel this kind of thing. Um, Giving yourself permission to recognize that this emotion will pass, right? And you can even try to bring up examples from a time that it's passed before. Try to think about how it feels and this emotion starts to release from your body, right? In the past, how has that felt, right? Are you noticing any of that coming up for you now? So really connecting with your emotions, naming them, and giving yourself permission to feel them too, I think is really important. Um, And then checking in with with your beliefs. That's another piece that we can um, get into or not. But really checking in with your beliefs, which I think connect to that spirituality. What do you believe to be true, right? What do you believe to be true about yourself? What's your higher cause? What's your bigger why? What are those things that kind of keep you grounded and shape your worldview, right? And really trying to ground yourself back in that thing. Because likely when we're out of relationship with ourself or when that relationship is hostile, we're actually moving out of our why, right? So my is knowing that I'm always doing the best that I can with what I have and with what I know and that I grant that to other people. And so if my self-talk starts to sound anything different than I am doing the best with what I can and with what I have and with what I know, I want to spend time getting myself back in alignment with that belief, right? That worldview that keeps me grounded. And so spending time with all of those pieces, body, mind, spirit, emotion, those four pieces, I think really helps us get to a place of neutrality where our relationship with ourselves can actually commence. Are you looking to elevate your client experience to the next level? Whether you're in the wellness, photography, or mental health worlds, imagine the impact of offering your client a truly unique and memorable gift that supports them on a personal level. Introducing the Custom Affirmation Card Decks by Soleya. Our custom affirmation decks are designed to empower and inspire your clients, leaving a lasting impression that strengthens your professional relationship. So picture this. Your own branded affirmation cards beautifully crafted with imagery that reflects your brand's essence. 
These card decks serve as more than just a gift. They become a daily reminder of your commitment to your client's well-being and success. Whether you're a life coach, yoga instructor, therapist, or photographer, your custom card deck supports your client's personal growth even when they're not in the session with you. So why settle for generic gifts like candles or pens when you can create something truly transformational and beautiful? With Soleil's custom affirmation cards, you can tailor every aspect to align with your brand identity and the values that you stand for. And this process is easy for you. We do all the heavy lifting from design to ordering. Simply choose your affirmations, select the imagery, and add your logo and branding elements. We'll take care of the rest, delivering a high-quality, personalized product. Join the ranks of leading wellness, photography, and mental health professionals who are elevating their client experience with custom affirmation card decks from Solea. Visit our website today at solea.co slash custom to learn more and start creating your own unforgettable client gifts. That's solea.co slash custom. And I'll spell it out for you, S-O-U-L-E-A dot C-O forward slash C-U-S-T-O-M. Together, let's inspire positivity and empower transformation one affirmation at a time. Yes, I definitely want to get into beliefs and values, but even thinking about the emotion piece, I know that's something that I struggled with for basically a a very long time and wanted to avoid emotions. As we know, people with eating disorders tend to want to do, want to avoid those feelings. But I think a tool that has been really helpful for me to embrace and accept emotions and sit with them and let them pass by has been tracking emotions on an app, on a tracker. And noticing because they will show you the week view, the month view, and even just kind of once you select an emotion, there's a little prompt for you to kind of write like, you know, what what's going on? And it really helps me to just kind of slow down and to, like you said, you label the emotion, but you never know what's going to happen when you label the emotion, right? It can be because maybe... Previously for me, it would just be, oh, I'm feeling this. And then the automatic thought would be like, you suck or failure, like whatever, some kind of blaming, like self-blaming or something. But when you can pause, you can kind of, it just gives you space. You're like, okay, this emotion's here. I'm feeling this. You can kind of recognize, like, is it logical or not? <laughs> you know, that's one thing that helps. Like, is this rational? Maybe not, right? And then maybe you're like, I'm just feeling this way, and that's okay. You know, things aren't always going to feel happy and whatever. Or I'm feeling multiple things. I'm feeling happy and sad at the same time. And that's normal because maybe there's a s- small sense of longing in one way, and maybe there's also contentment in this way. And it's like, that's just a normal part of you know, what's showing up for me, but other times it can also just kind of help, you know, like you said, maybe the first thought pops up is like a shame response, but you kind of sit within and other more helpful and healthy thoughts (laughs) come by and you can sit there with the prompt and think, oh, well, it makes sense. Maybe I'm feeling 
you know, frustrated, stressed, maybe I'm exhausted. I'm noticing that this theme of exhaustion is showing up a lot. Okay, well, why? What are some of the shifts I can make? What can help me to feel less exhausted? So it's really a helpful tool to can feel scary and be like, well, I don't want to feel even more negative. (laughs) I don't want to face the fact that I feel sad a lot or exhausted a lot or whatever the case. But really, I think that's the only way that we can really have a healthy relationship with those emotions and with ourselves. So I love emotion tracking. (laughs) I agree. And I love that you mentioned that, right? It pulls it out of the ether. It makes it tangible. It allows us to really collect those patterns. If I'm feeling exhausted chronically, maybe it's my body telling me that there is some rest that needs to be had, right? And versus just keeping me moving past it and ignoring it. Having all of that information allows us to actually meet um, our challenges more effectively. Um, And I was even thinking about how when we first start to write them down, at least for me and at least for people that I've worked with, when we first start to write them down and try to find other ways to think, we might even think it's silly, right? We might even think that this new way of talking sounds so fake and sounds so not like me, right? And I think that it's so important to give yourself the space to think that, right? Okay, it feels silly, right? And... I can write it down, right? And the worst thing that can happen is it's the silliest thing that I've ever written down, but what if it gives me even just one more moment of peace today, right? So really looking at the trade-off for silliness doesn't have to be the barrier. It doesn't have to be a door that closes behind us and we say, well, I can't do that because I feel silly. Feel silly, write it down, right? And allow yourself to see the, the worst thing that happened was that you wrote down a silly statement. You really haven't lost much for it. Mm-hmm. It's funny, too, because if I am feeling a really strong emotion, that's usually my prompt to be like, I need a, I don't know, I'll pick up my phone and be like, oh, I need to write this down. And just that act of giving myself the space to acknowledge the emotion and write it down, it passes so quickly. It's like I can let go of the anger (laughs) and the stress and be like, okay, it's a stress moment. It happens, whatever. Do I want to keep sitting on this and dwelling in this or just kind of let it go? Not always the case, but I feel like it's funny that I noticed that happened quite a bit, just that act of acknowledging You're it. You're moving it through, right? <laughs> it's, it's, an, it's an energy block without it, right? Well, now you start to write it down. I have created a space for it to be on its way, right? Mm-hmm. So that it doesn't have to take up a home in my body anymore. I have created the path for it to Exactly. Any other things that you've noticed that have been helpful for people? I know so many people in my life personally, too, that might just say, I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't have emotions. I wouldn't know what to write down. I wouldn't know what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so maybe even just starting with that, I don't know what to write. I don't know what I'm feeling, right? Maybe my head hurts. Maybe I'm feeling some tenseness in my feet and writing it down before you even have the words for it, because all of that's going to start to help you gather the information for the words to come. So we really want to think about naming emotions being a skill, right? You're not either good or bad at it. You're either practiced or unpracticed in it, right? It's something that we have capacity in. We just might not have all of the, the practice in naming our emotions, right? And maybe even starting off with the like the three very basic emotions, happy, mad, that, right? And seeing which one am I closest to feeling, right? And then see if there's another word that maybe sounds like it could be the emotion, even if even if it's not exactly the emotion, and maybe even writing down some emotion that feel like it could live in the same 
wheelhouse, right? And I don't even have to pick. I just start to put out what this energy is feeling like, and it will start to condense itself and make itself clearer and clearer to me, right? We just want to give something to it so that we can eventually reach out and grab it and say, oh, okay, this is what I'm feeling, right? So give yourself that space to create it um, or to create that understanding, not just stopping at either I can name it or I can't name it. It's a practice. All of all of the therapists, all of us, we have worked at practicing naming it. We didn't just inherently know this is my emotion space because I would have stopped at happy, mad, sad five years ago if you'd asked me. <laughs> yeah, I would have like always put exactly happy or sad and felt like, oh, happy for you know, six months every day or denying, trying to suppress the times I'm not. And then it switches and then sad, 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 sad. Everything sucks. It's really funny, but it's interesting when you are more connected to emotions and when you kind of do some of this work where you really notice the nuances and allow that. And it's, I think it's just beautiful. It's a much better way to be. I agree. I think it opens up your worldview because you start to think about the world differently because you start to think of the world in more nuance, right? Maybe it's not that I'm mad. Maybe I am frustrated or I'm disappointed. The, the, the more specific I can get with it, the closer I get to it, right? The more shades, right? I guess of color of the world that you start to actually be able to see. And then you get to start to respond differently. Because if I'm responding to every time I feel disappointed, like every time I'm just mad, frustrated, angry, that's not really going to allow me a place to really express and meet that disappointment need. It's too broad of a, a brush. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really responding those same ways, having those usual typical just learned patterns and responses and everything. So you mentioned part of what can help, right, with that healthy self-relationship is we talked about emotions and then you shared your mentioning beliefs. Can you explain that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so our beliefs are going to be the things that are our guiding principles. And thinking about beliefs, I really want to emphasize that beliefs are practice thoughts. These are things that we come to believe in our bones and we come to know as full truth because I practice this thought or I've had this information given to me a hundred different ways that I have accepted it as true. So I want to say that there are going to be some beliefs that don't serve us, right, as we start to do the belief work. And we'll start to figure out ways to add in new beliefs that become a little bit more accessible, right? So we aren't always being led by a belief that doesn't serve us. But when we're talking about beliefs, they're really going to be the things that ground us, that dictate our day-to-day, how we spend our day, how we spend our time, all of these pieces, right? And so we want to check in with those grounding beliefs to see if they're things that are eventually going to serve us and serve the relationship that we're having with ourselves or not. So say I have a belief that I am the worst person in the world, right? And I believe that to be true. And it's going to be because of all of these messages I've internalized about myself, right? Maybe from my caregiver, maybe from my classmate, maybe from the media. But if I have that belief, I'm the worst person in the world, it actually colors the way that I see the world. Every interaction is going to stem off of the belief that I am the worst person in the world. The reason why this person ran into me, right? It's not because they misjudge the space in between us. It's because that they purposely target me because why not? Because I'm the worst person in the world, it starts to really change the way that we're able to see ourselves. So we want to notice if we have that belief and how does that belief actually make us feel? And what do we think of the likelihood that we're going to find success in this belief? All of those pieces. 
And a new belief of mine is that I'm doing the best that I can in every moment with what I have access to and with what I know, right? And I believe that this belief serves me so much better, so much more broadly. It allows me to really step into my worth. It allows me to step into my success, all of these pieces, because I own it because I'm just like, I did the best that I can. It allows me to step into the lessons, my lessons, my learning lessons, right? With so much more grace because I am learning. This was something that I did the best that I could with what I have and with what I know. And now I know differently, right? I can't wait to use that knowledge the next time versus if I was the worst person in the world, I'd probably be beating myself up with a misstep or with a mistake, right? Because it's confirming that belief versus if I'm doing the best that I can, right? That allows me a spring in my step to just move forward with life. It allows me to engage with life instead of getting stuck in the past of my life and what has been, right? And allows me to create a what can be future. Mm -hmm. This is where I think journaling can be really helpful because you, if you just kind of give yourself that space to talk about your day or what came up. I think sometimes those beliefs might leak into there, into the journal. And I'm just kind of thinking about um, a core belief of mine that I've had for years was, I don't even know where it started. It was just, I think, I I feel like I tried thinking about this once because I was working with someone on core beliefs and the core belief showed up, but a memory showed up for me. I think it's the first time that belief formed. And it was, I was probably like in second grade or something really young. And there was a talent show and all the kids were so excited. And I was just sad because I'm like, I can't think of any talents. I don't have a talent. I don't know what I'm going to do for the talent show. And then the belief formed like, okay, I have no talents. I'll never be good at anything. I can't, I don't know what I'm going to do. And anything I try to do, like there's no talent because I couldn't think of what to do for the talent show. So then the belief formed, like, I'm not good at anything, any industry, <laughs> any type of whatever it is. Right. And it's interesting that it's like once a thought like that could form and you're like, yep, I agree. That's what it is. How it could just carry on for the rest of your life. Cause nobody told me that nobody said you have no talent. You're not good at anything. But sometimes we are told things like that. So what are some things that you find helpful for people to identify? Maybe they're not sure. Maybe they just are having a difficult relationship with themselves, but they're not really sure what their core beliefs are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're patterned, right? So we actually have a lot of thoughts during a day. But if we were looking really closely, we would see that we're likely having the same thoughts multiple times multiple times a day, multiple times a week, right? And so we want to start to like find the pattern and what those thoughts are, what's our first initial reaction to ourselves in certain situations. Like if I mess up, what's the first thought that comes to my head, right? Is it a learning opportunity or did I just expose myself as incompetent, right? Because if I just expose myself as incompetent as a thought, right? Write that down and see if that continues to find its space in your in your mental world and see how often that's coming up because that can tell you what those beliefs are because our beliefs are what guides us through our day. It's going to be our first reaction, right? Especially when I mess up, right? Because it's easier to be nice to ourselves when things are kind of going the way that we would plan for and hope for. But when things don't go our way, what's the first way that I speak to myself? That's likely going to be the first way I speak to myself every time something something doesn't go my way. And that's going to likely point you in the direction of what you believe to be true about yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. And I love how you 
shared, you know, your old belief and your new belief, um, what can help someone to really reinforce those new beliefs? Mm-hmm. And so, and the thing that I love to tell people, because the first thing that my clients will say is, well, I don't believe this new belief. Right? And I'm <laughs> yeah. just like, I wouldn't expect you to. It wouldn't be a belief if you believed it the first time you said it, right? Because the belief is a practiced thought. These thoughts that are your beliefs now are like have likely had so much practice. You've had so much practice thinking them. So anytime you're introducing a new belief, right? It is going to be a practice, right? We have to give ourselves space to practice saying these new things out loud to ourselves. So looking at ourselves in the mirror when we're brushing our teeth in the morning and thinking, I'm going to try as often as possible to tell myself that I'm doing the best that I can today, right? And giving ourselves the permission to start there versus I believe that I'm doing the best that I can, right? We want to start with give yourself practice in hearing the words, surrounding yourself with this new belief, right? And then you can decide to put it on when it starts to feel like it fits but at least around yourself with it because it's not going to start to feel like your belief without any exposure to it. And so you're going to want to create your exposure to these potentially more beneficial beliefs. And if the worst thing at the end of the day is you have new great thoughts about yourself to to remind yourself of, then it's not the worst thing in the world, right? I, I still think there's so much benefit. And if we have trouble reminding ourselves, setting an alarm, right? Creating 10 minutes in our day, five minutes in our day, two minutes in our day, whatever time you have to give yourself the space to practice in new ways that you want to believe about yourself, new beliefs that you think will actually open up opportunities for you to be in deeper self-relationship, to be at more peace with yourself, to have more authentic connections with the people in your life. Giving yourself that two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes of just building up a new way of, of viewing yourself I think of an investment in your, in your belief system. That's awesome. Yeah. What's, what's kind of like the next step for you? For me, I am focusing on building up my private practice. Um, so that's still, I opened it in February. It is, it's going and I getting clients every day, but just really focusing and spending time and making sure that I'm able to build it up in the way that feels really resonant to me. Cause I'm really excited to allow this chapter to be one where I'm able to fulfill my purpose, which I truly think that I was meant to be a therapist that this feels like a very good fit for who I am naturally as a person and then intertwining it with my life in a way that feels more balanced. That's really where I'm at right now. It's leaving the corporate world mentality and not bringing that into my private practice, which I find myself sometimes doing, being a little bit more rigid in thought instead of trying to find myself in it. So it's still still doing that, um, trying to get involved in any sort of uh, support groups, um, facilitating support groups with the Alliance right now. I'm really excited about that. Next step, just being able to kind of give back in the community. That's awesome. What are some of the things that you really enjoy about private practice? What's different about that? Because I know a lot of listeners too are entrepreneurs and maybe even therapists and maybe they're in a nine to five right now and they have been considering taking that leap. What would be some of your advice? I think that you are never going to feel completely ready to make the leap. And I think taking the leap when you know that it is something that you want to do instead of waiting to feel ready because feeling ready, I think will keep us stuck in things that don't benefit us and keep us in a place of burnout for much longer than we need to be in. Um, so I would say looking at all of the, the resources to kind of help you get that business started because there are ways to get those resources um, to kind of go out there and just get started just doing a little bit at a time, maybe 
trying it out with one client and then building up your comfort level to two clients and then so forth. Um, I think that the biggest difference for me between working for myself is that all of the ways that I practice fits with who I am and what I actually believe to be serving to the people that I work for. Um, I feel like being able to practice in a way that is completely aligned allows me to be a better practitioner for the people that I do get to work with. It allows me to focus on what they're bringing in and not having to think about what are all the objectives for the place that I'm working for, which is fine and it makes a lot of sense, but it is not where I am able to provide the support that I think I'm capable of providing. And I found a difference in the relationships just feeling more natural, more genuine um, when there aren't so many other parties involved outside of like the direct team. Yeah. And I would love to actually hear you share because I'm huge on that too, alignment and doing things authentically. What are some of those pieces for you? Like, what are some of those cool, unique gifts and the values and philosophies and things you bring into practice now? Mm-hmm. I truly value inner peace, but not in a way that bypasses the things that you're you're experiencing and feeling to get to inner peace. I don't value inner peace at the expense of being with my emotions, being with my thoughts, being with what's coming up for me. So I really do value being able to have the space to feel through my feelings, creating that space every day. I actually journal daily. I do like this thing called like a roll call where I try to think about what are some of the pieces of me, because I believe in parts work, that are driving the bus for today. And I like to give it like silly little names for what those pieces are, just to kind of get an idea for what's going on. Like today I said, there was a snarky part of me driving the bus a little bit uh, because I found myself storing information that I would only need to store if I was going to try to use it against somebody the next time we were in an argument, right? So I found myself recognizing that. When I recognize that, I'm able to keep it from happening outside of my awareness. I'm able to actually step in and say, that's not actually how I want to show up. I want to show up as curious in this conversation and I want to stop collecting information about this person. And I want my snarky side to, to stand down right? So that I can show up in my full self. So really being able to kind of give those parts names and not think about them as flaws of myself. This is just a snarky part that's trying to gather information. But there's a snarky part that's trying to make people back up, right? And feeling a lot or, or I could use my voice, right? I can use my other coping strategies to accomplish the same. And so just being able to be in tune with myself and I say the same with my clients being able to be in tune with them in the room, not just coming at them from whatever a facility's philosophies are, but really thinking about what's the breadth of my knowledge, because I've been interested in a lot of things, I've taken on a lot of different theoretical approaches, and really truly meeting them with what they need in that moment, and just being resonant to what is actually, what are they saying, but how are they energetically showing up, right, and making sure that I am always connecting those pieces and helping them see them. To, to get them to a place of alignment too. Yeah, that's awesome. And you shared a little bit of some of your daily practices. So I have to ask, my last question is, what are some of the tools, practices, routines that help you stay, quote unquote, high vibe? Mm-hmm. Um, I take a lot of me time. I really value investing in myself, my downtime. I have so much energy when I'm with others, only when I have spent a 
great deal of time making sure I'm with myself too. And so what I typically do, I, I love to go outside. I love to take walks. I take my dog on a walk twice a day. I like to sit outside and read to kind of get my mind going. I like to do some body work, so whether that's stretching, or even if I don't have a lot of time, just breathing in my chair before I start my day really finding one way of connection. So I have like a priority list, things that I prioritize. I prioritize peace. I prioritize connection. I prioritize X, Y, Z. And then I try to find one way to meet those priorities every day, right? Even if that's going to be in a really small way, even if it's sending a quick text message to my sister, if I don't have time to be on the phone with her, just finding little ways to meet those priorities keeps my cup full, right? Instead of keep me feeling like, oh my gosh, I've put all my energy into all of these other things and I've left all of these things that feel important to me off. So just finding a little tiny bit of a way to meet all of the priorities to me has been helpful. Awesome. Thank you so much. And tell us kind of what, where we can find you, how people can work with you. If you're on any social media sites, plug yourself. Yes. So you can find me if you're wanting, I'm accepting new patients in Florida. Um, You can go to my website. You can also go to my Instagram account and I'm at expanded counseling on my Instagram. And that's also where you're going to be able to directly click into my website. You can find me on psychology today. So it's expanded underscore counseling on Instagram. And I would say go there first because that's where I put a lot of my thoughts, my tidbits, just useful general um, um, pieces of advice, um, therapeutic counseling, things like that. Well, it's not counseling, but just giving you things that could be helpful. Awesome. Thank you so much. I think listeners will get a lot of value on, you know, things that help them to develop a better relationship with themselves, or maybe even start to have a relationship with themselves. (laughs) So thank you so much. Thanks, Melissa. Do you know these three things are sabotaging your ability to live your high vibe life? First is living in disconnection, which basically means walking around with no awareness of your body, emotions, or values. And second is letting negative self-talk run the show in your brain. That's just going to make you doubt your potential and stop you from going after your dreams. Finally, is not having any supportive coping practices or self-care that doesn't take hours or cost tons of money. Because when you're living in chronic stress at home or work, the last thing that feels accessible is a spa day or a meditation retreat. We have personally struggled with all of these things, and that's why we created the Body Deck. This affirmation card deck has 77 intentionally designed beautiful cards to help you address all three of these high vibe killers in just a couple minutes a day. These affirmations will help you tune into your body and your inner world, practice positive self-talk, and best of all, it's super portable and affordable. For only $33, benefit from the transformative practice of affirmations anywhere you go. So if you're ready to stop the self-sabotage and start being the highest version of yourself, you'll definitely want to get your hands on the Body Deck Affirmation Cards. Head over to solea.co. That's S-O-U-L-E-A dot C-O 
to get the Body Duck affirmation cards today. You can also find the link in the show notes.